0: It's remarkable when we hear this story, if you listen closely, the disciples didn't believe that they came to him, the women, and said, we've seen him, he's risen, and yet they didn't believe, and this wasn't the kind of belief like, oh, I can't believe that, this was there's no way that happened, there's no way that's true, and doesn't that seem strange to you? Here are the guys that have lived with Jesus for three years. They're the ones that saw him heal the sick. They're the ones that saw him teach with authority. They're the ones that saw him raise the dead and walk on the water. And yet, they did not believe. The resurrection exploded into a world of unbelief. The supernatural invaded the natural world not to coexist with it, but to transform it. When we hear that story, it's easy for us this morning to say, well, those crazy disciples. But that's not true about us. I mean, we believe, right? We're the ones that believe. But I want to challenge us as we think about that on this Easter morning. Do we believe creeds? Do we believe our religious writings? Do we believe because we're Presbyterians or Catholics or Baptists? What does it mean to believe? John Piper said, unbelief is turning away from Jesus to find satisfaction somewhere else. Or to put it positively, belief in Jesus is coming to him to feed on him. That is to get my satisfaction, to have my soul thirst satisfied in him and in him alone. If that's true, if that's what it means to believe, Is it possible that in almost every area of my life I display unbelief? That every time I go to something else to fill me up, to give me satisfaction, to give me meaning, means that I'm walking away from something, that I'm locking arms with the disciples and saying, I just can't believe the resurrection. I think it's more than possible. I think it's a living reality for me. For my life, every time I sin, I am saying to God, I cannot believe your promises. I do not believe. So I'm going somewhere else to find my satisfaction. I'm going somewhere else to find the life that my soul hungers for, my heart aches for, and I often communicate with my words in saying, I'm just bored. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I can imagine the disciples, if you heard what Drew read, it was Mary who was possessed with seven demons and Jesus cast them all out. Some of them knew Mary back in her demon days. where she had the tattoos and the Harley. Maybe. But can you imagine her coming, running up to them and saying, he's risen, I've seen him. And them looking at her and going... We just married. How easy it is when we stop believing for ourselves that the first signs of that is we stop believing for the people around us. We stop believing in the power of the resurrection and the work of Christ in others' people's lives because we've stopped believing it for our own lives. And friends, I want to tell you that I struggle with unbelief. See, I know that we say this often here, that we are not what we do. We are what he did for us. That is our identity, and that is true, and nothing we're going to say today is going to change that. But here's also a reality. What I do reflects what I believe. And if I look at my life and I examine my life, what does it tell me I believe in? What does your life say? You know, when I have a vibrant life of prayer, I'm believing that the God of the universe is hearing me. And then he has said to me, come unto my throne room boldly, for your prayers have power. But if I have no prayer in my life, what does it say about what I believe? You know, if I come to the word of God and I believe the promises of God and God says it's sharper than a two-edged sword, that it's a living, it's the living voice and breath of God that it's it's profitable for training and rebuking and equipping me in everything I'm going to face in life. And so I come to it with faith and say, Holy Spirit, teach me. I want a supernatural experience in your word. That says something about what I believe, but if I don't come to the word, what does that say about what I believe? If I examine my money and where I spend it and how I use it, what does it profess about what I believe? If I examine how I use my own sexuality, what does it express about what I believe? If I examine how I view my time, How about this? If I examine how I forgive or don't forgive those around me, what does it say about what I believe? How I love or how I don't love or how I care for the poor or for the broken or for the weak or how I don't care for those things. What does that say about what I believe? In Isaiah 50, it says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant?" Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. We believe. Such great faith. But then he goes on to say, But now all of you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go walk in the lights of your fires and the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. What is he saying? The Lord invites us to walk in his light, in the power of his resurrection. But like me, we often say, no, thank you. And we, write, we light our own torches, and we try to find our own way, because we don't believe. The resurrection came to shine a bright light on this massive inconsistency that's in every one of you, because it's in me too. The resurrection of Jesus Christ came to shed a light on that. He came to shed a light on my unbelief and my fear and in my worry and in my trying to control the future and me trying to control my present and me trying to let the past rule me. It's our refusal to let go of shame and the pain. Our plans to make sure that we find the life that we want. The resurrection exploded into that. And revealed that. Because here's the beautiful thing. What did Jesus do when the disciples did not believe? Did he throw his hands up and say, I knew this was worthless. No, he didn't run away. He ran in. Because the resurrection exploded into a world of unbelief. The supernatural invaded the natural world not to coexist with it, but to transform it. And he drew near to these disciples in their unbelief. And he draws near today. Flannery O'Connor, she said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And the most natural, this is the most natural and most human and most agonizing prayer in the Gospels. And I think it is the foundation prayer of faith. Help our unbelief. So I'm convinced that if you wanna get to know somebody, take them camping when it's raining. Because you can pretend all you want but trying to start a a fire after not being able to sleep in a wet sleeping bag early at six o'clock when the temperatures are below 40 degrees reveals your true character and who you are. And when I say camping, I'm not talking about the Sheraton over here. That's what Jesus did. He came, and in first in John chapter 1, it tells us that he tabernacled, that he camped with us, that he came in the middle of our inconsistencies, in the middle of our doubts, in the middle of our unbelief. And he came right in the middle of all this messiness, all this story of how we had all these dreams of making it great and awesome and right, and how we messed it up. All the expectations that we thought were going to set us free actually became the chains that drug us to the bottom of the ocean this crazy wild joyful yet mourning how is it possible that we can be all that and yet we are aren't we and Jesus came in the middle of that the resurrection exploded into a world of unbelief the supernatural invaded the natural world not to coexist with it but to transform it listen to what Paul said and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because what we're talking about this morning is not something that's important to the Christian faith. What we're talking about this morning isn't something that's really good for us all to say, oh yeah, I I believe that one, or that we understand it. He says something so much more. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. So is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. He's not saying this is just important. He's not saying this is just vital. He's not saying this is just a really good thing to believe. Paul is saying, if you do not hold to this, all that we hold to is useless. If the resurrection is not true, then we are false. Your faith is futile that we are even to be pitied. See, a lot of people say that Jesus was a great teacher. And there have been great teachers that have said a lot of the things that Jesus has said. So some people go even further and say, well, Jesus was a great prophet, and he performed miracles. But Jesus isn't the only one in history that claims to have performed miracles or that we have written accounts about miracles. He's not the only one. One of my good friends, Yasser, is one of the teachers over at the mosque over on 12 12 South. And we talk about these things. He's a good Muslim. And he would hold that Jesus is a good teacher. And he would hold that Jesus was a great prophet who performed great miracles. But where we differ, where we part ways is on this single point that Jesus rose. It is the great offense of all religions when it comes to Christianity. Because here's what it means. Peter understood exactly what it meant. Because the very first sermon that was ever preached after the resurrection, Peter took the resurrection and said, Because this happened, this is true. And listen to what he says. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified through the resurrection, both Lord and Christ. He is the Alpha, He is the Omega. The resurrection declares that he is the one through whom all things were created and through whom all things are held together. (laughs) Really? And he comes in the middle of my mess? The resurrection is an offense to my pride that believes that I can be good enough to please God with my good works. It's an offense to my belief that I can make my life work on my own terms. It is the declaration that he is Lord, and he is Lord of all, and he is Christ. And it makes his words, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, scream from the mountaintop as an offense to those who stand against him, as an invitation to life to those who draw near to him. Do you believe? Here's the great thing. He came and camped in the middle of where you don't believe. He came and camped in the middle of the things that you do that says, I don't trust. He came to be with us. Because the resurrection exploded into a world of unbelief. The supernatural invaded the natural world. Not to coexist with it, but to transform it. The resurrection allows us to see ourselves in all our glory. The resurrection allows us to look at God in all his glory. And I have a profound question for you. What is your favorite Easter candy? Peep? Really? Come on. Do people really like peeps? Reese's yeah. peeps? Okay, what? Yes, yeah, like those too. Funny, you like it? Okay. The rest of you, you are sadly deficient in your knowledge of Easter candy. I told our Africa mission trip uh, team the other, the other night this story that my favorite Easter candy was that when I was growing up, I had two brothers. My mother would give us all solid chocolate Easter bunnies. And so, uh, and it's not that I love chocolate. I do, but I'm not crazy for it. But my brothers and I would have a competition see who could make their Easter bunny last the longest so we take a little nibble every day and fight and resist the urge to devour this bunny because we knew that the one with the with the last bit of Easter bunny could eat that in front of the other two with such gloating and such power that you had something that they did not have and you were not about to share it I hungered for that remaining Easter bunny And what do you hunger for today? David Wilkerson says, today some Christians are content to merely exist until they die. They don't want to risk anything to believe God to grow or mature. They refuse to believe his word and have become hardened in their unbelief. Now they're living just to die. If we can see ourselves honestly And then we can see Jesus, the resurrected Christ, honestly. Listen to what Paul says. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection for the dead. This is the Apostle Paul. Did he not already have Christ? Yeah, but he wanted more. He says, I want to know. Do you hear the desire in his voice that he wants more? Do you see that Paul is seeking a reality infused into his life that would continue to count all things as secondary to knowing Christ first? He understood that the resurrection exploded into his world of unbelief. It exploded a supernatural invasion into his natural world that didn't seek to coexist with the old Paul, but seek to transform Paul into a new Paul. See, the resurrection is challenging our unbelief. It's calling us to want the power of of the resurrection in our own lives. See, when Jesus finds us in the mess, and he embraces us in the mess, Jesus isn't content just to leave us in the mess. See, Paul knew when he said those words, there's going to come a day for all believers that the voice of Christ will call out and rise us from the dead. N.T. Wright talks about the body of Christ after the resurrection is that he was the firstborn of a new humanity. That when we rise from the dead and we are given bodies that are imperishable, no more mourning, no more sadness, no more grief, no more sickness, that we will be like Christ in this new humanity. And Paul was looking forward to that day. But Paul also knew that that resurrection power was present now, too. Here. He wrote in Romans chapter 6. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Have you seen... uh, The blind side, we were watching that last night. What's your name? No, not Sandra Bullock. She was playing a real person. Leanne Toohey. Jesus is not a Leanne Toohey that comes into our orphan lives and by her discipline and hard work and telling him what to do can change him and turn him around. Jesus isn't coming in to become our life coach to tell us how we too can live a life similar to what he lived. Jesus isn't on the sidelines cheering us on so that when we get in the game, he hopes and prays that maybe we can make a tackle. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says this, his incomparable great power is for us who believe. That power is like the working of His mighty strength which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. What does that mean? Christ not only rose from the dead, but Christ is present today and those of us that are His is within us. And the power that rose Christ from the dead is the same power that is working in us. Not to cheer us on, but to make us new. And to live out Christ in us, the hope of glory. Wow. What does that mean? Okay, this is where it gets personal. I know it's, uh, it's Easter. But let's dig in a little bit. Do you want this power in your life? We have a dog who is about 80 pounds and he is fluffy and he is white and he has lots of hair. When he goes in our backyard in the middle of a rainstorm and gets covered from head to toe to where he is now dark chocolate, we do not let him in our house because he has this urge when he comes in our house, when he's dripping in mud, that he wants to share the love of that mud with everybody around him. And he shakes and he just splatters the walls. And so whenever we hear the door opening or somebody coming and going, what does everybody else do? We jump, keep him out. Because I promise you, if Jesus comes in to your life, it is going to mess up your well-ordered living room. It's going to wreck what you thought about your own life and about your own identity and about the people around you. He's going to make you love people that are unlovable. He's going to lead you to forgive those that are unforgivable. He's going to lead you to give your life for things that are bigger than your own self-satisfaction. Are you ready for that kind of power to explode into your sexuality? Are you ready for that kind of power to explode in the way that you love your spouse? Are you ready for that kind of power to explode in the way that you love the poor? That you love those in need? That you love yourself? Are you ready for that kind of power to change your job to a calling? Your time from being yours to being His? Even your doubts and fears as gifts from the Lord to be springboards to lead us into His presence? In Mark chapter 9, we read the story that we get that famous quote, I believe, help my unbelief. It was the story of a father who had a son, and his son had epilepsy. And his whole life, he was falling into water and nearly drowning or or having an epileptic seizure and falling into a fire and nearly dying. And you can just see the picture of this father who doesn't know what to do because his son will never live a normal life if he lives at all. And every waking moment for this father, you've got to know, is on pins and needles and edges. Is, is this the moment I jump to save my son's life? Is he about to go into a seizure? You know, we're in the theater, we're watching a show. Hey, wait, don't go into a seizure now. Everything about his life was, was changed because his son had this ailment. And Jesus asked him, how long has he been this way? From childhood, he said. It's often thrown him into fires or waters to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus. Did you just say, if you can? Seriously. Hey, I'm Jesus. Really? Did you just say, if I can? Don't you know everything's possible for him who believes? And so the father's standing there, and he hears this man who claims to be the Messiah saying, everything is possible for him who believes. Meaning that the one thing that he wants most in his life is for his son to be healed. The one thing that he would give everything for is now at the threshold of the doorway. The one who can give it is saying, really, to the man, do you believe? And the man examines his own heart like we've tried to do this morning. Do you see your belief in your unbelief? Do you see Jesus? And it's all been designed to bring you to this point because the man looked at Jesus and said, I believe. Good Lord, help my own Lord. What was he saying? My belief is not strong enough for this miracle. And Jesus said, That's okay. I am strong enough for that. So he took the boy's hand, and he said, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, it convulsed him violently, and it came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. This is where it gets personal. Because where do you need the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life today? What is it in your life that you're looking at the Savior and you're saying, if there is any way... That you could bring that kind of resurrection power into this area of my life. If there's any way that you could do something miraculous, this, please, God, don't pass me by till you touch that. What is it? What would that be for you? Isn't that a little uncomfortable on Easter? I mean, we we were just going to church what's this about actually doing something? I want you to take out that piece of card that was on your chair and a pencil. Let me tell you what we're going to do with it this morning. If you've already used it to draw all the diagrams of how Spider-Man would swing from beam to beam, don't worry about that, all right? You can still use it. don't put your name on this and don't put your phone number on this unless you're so radically open to whatever God has for you in your life that you just want anybody to have your phone number because no please keep it anonymous here's what we're going to do we're going to pause for a minute and I'd like for you to pray because what we've said today is that the risen Lord is present today he's here And he sees that you don't have it all together. He sees, I don't have it all together. And yet, he's looking at us, and what is he saying? What is it that you want? What do you want? What is it? What do you need that kind of power, that kind of hope? that kind of renewal, that kind of bringing back from the dead, what do you have? And I'd like for you to take a moment, and in faith, I'd like for you to write that on the card. No names and no phone numbers. What you are asking from the Lord. Would you do that? Take a (laughs) second. Here's what we're about to do. We are not in this alone. And I'm not telling you that what you have written on that card, God is going to answer and give you everything you want. I do know that God promises to meet you in the middle of that and give you more than you ever dreamed. What does that mean? I know, as we said last week in Psalm 36, it says, In His light we see light. We need His light in the middle of our journey, don't we? So I'm going to ask you to do something. We're about to have our time of communion. And uh, as we come to this table, I'd like for you to bring your request with you. And when you come to this this communion table, bring your desire to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the need for that resurrection power to be in your life. And I'd like you to drop that, that in the bucket. And when you drop it in, Leave one and take one. And I'd like for you to pray for somebody else in this room this week. Pray that God would meet them, meet them where their need is, that the moving, risen Lord would move and bring that resurrection power into their lives. Would you consider that? Some of you may say, wow, that's so corny. It is. It really is, it? it's kind of hokey. But you know what? There's nothing hokey about us believing that a God of the universe says, I dare you to pray and watch me work. So what we're going to have to do is those who come first, those that like to come to the kneelers at the very beginning, uh, there won't be any prayer requests. So you don't have to pray this week. No, I'm kidding. We're going to trust you to come back up at the end of the service and take one from the bucket. Uh, so you'll have to do a double trip, all right? So let 's pause for a minute and let's pray. Lord, it's a scary thing sometimes to uh, to put our faith here and say for you to have your way. I know there are many in this room that their prayer requests may have to do with relationships, may have to do with the future, or even with the past, that many may have to do with the courage to go forward, and some in this room, Father, the fear of ever going back. That, Lord, to see what you may have for us today, or to know the call that you have on our lives, or the strength, to love, or to forgive, or even to be loved. But I thank you that, Lord, when you came to the disciples and you found them as a bundle of unbelief, you weren't shocked, you weren't surprised. You sat and you ate with them, And then you called them on a journey that changed the world. So we thank you, Father, that you are stronger than our belief and that you're present. And I pray that you would meet us at this table as we come. Paul says about this table, for what I received of the Lord I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This table is a proclamation that what was done on the cross finished. That he paid for our sins to set us free from the curse of death to call us to newness of life. But it's also a declaration that at the resurrection, because he lives, we too can live. So we come and remember, but also proclaim he's our Lord. Now, scripture goes on to talk about us, that if, if you are not in that place where you declared Christ as Lord, where you say, I'm, I'm not sure where I'm at, I'm not sure I'm a Christian, I don't, I don't know what I believe, we encourage you to stay in your seat for this table is for those that have come to the place to where they de- deeply and desperately need the work of the Lord in their own lives. It also encourages us that if we're in a place to where we're saying this morning, God, I I just can't let you touch areas of my life. I'm sorry. I know what you're saying, but please keep your hands off. If we're just kind of if we're kind of doing this right here, the Lord says that's not integrity and love, is it? Deal with this first then come here. If you need help with that, either one of those, or prayer, there are folks right outside the door that would love to pray for you. But if you're in a place where you're ready for this table, or you need the Lord's work on the cross and his resurrection, then come. We're going to start the music, and as the music begins to play, as you in prayer feel ready to come to this table, come on up, squeeze in, Okay. And when you're ready for us to serve you, put your hands out like that and we'll be happy to serve you. Bring your cards, drop them off and pick them up. Let's pray. Lord, prepare us now as we come to this table, as we come to taste, to touch, to smell and to see that which reminds us of the price that you paid for us and then rose to newness of life and are present here today. Thank you, Father.